Today we're finishing off the series on overcoming anger, looking at the destruction of anger, kind of looking at destruction of anger in two different ways. One, a call to destroy anger. We want to see anger destroyed, the destruction of anger in our own hearts, and then a reminder of how anger can be so destructive in our own lives and the need that we must destroy it. Otherwise, anger will destroy us and others around us. As we begin this morning, you've probably all been there before. Um, it's a Tuesday. Imagine yourself a Tuesday afternoon. You're not working, and you figure you're just going to jump jump into Costco to grab something. And as you get into Costco, you get to the front line. You realize that that nobody else in Calgary is working today either, and they're all in front of you in line. And so you 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 what turned into a quick in and out, and uh, now comes to a, a long process as you have your oversized grocery cart trying to navigate, making sure no one no one gets in front of you, keep you nice and close. And then from the corner of your eye, you see someone coming from the left hand side, and you can't get there. And they kind of come in and sneak right in front of you about three or four carts up. Now, I'm guessing most of you here are probably not the the hollering type uh, who would would yell at this person in front of you saying, that's not fair. You know, the the line is back there, buddy. You know, but you'll probably just stew where you are. You know, perhaps you'll you'll try to look around you and, and make eye contact with other people waiting with their carts and just let them know how disgusted you are. And aren't they disgusted by, didn't you see what just happened? This injustice? Okay. We've been there before. And, and, and the more of a rush that you are in, the more angry you're going to get. The more of an injustice is that someone is going to go in front of you. And what we looked at the last few weeks is that this, this sense of anger, the sense of frustration, this, this resentment, this bitterness is a judgment. Anger is a judgment. A judgment against perceived evil, perceived wrong, injustice. That's not fair. That's not right. You should not do that to me. And so we get angry. And there's varying levels that we can display that anger, whether internally or externally. And so we spent the last few weeks looking at this root cause of anger. And we see the cause of anger is not that person coming in line. That happens all the time. The cause of anger was our own hearts, our own desires. And when our desires become so great, this is what causes great anger. So we need to deal with the root of our anger, those desires, that when they're either... Those desires are either denied from us or delayed or taken away from us. It causes us to be angry. Now, I tried to demonstrate this looking through the Bible in James chapter 4. And we're there again this morning and other passages of Scripture to show us that anger is really a result of our desires or cravings. When we have desires, even desires for good things, when they begin to become really important to us, so important to become ruling desires, demands. It's almost like these are, these are commands written on our hearts. We must have these things. And when they're taken away from us or, or denied or delayed, we get angry. And we, we let people know the wrath, our displeasure about what was taken away from us. What we looked at the last few weeks was this sheet that's available on the back table, a journaling sheet. And this journaling sheet was meant for you to describe your situation in, w- in which you got angry. Your behavior, what did you do? What did you say? And then what were your thoughts and desires? And this third column was so important. What was I wanting? What was I craving when I got angry? That's the real issue here. And the fourth column had to do with what, what's God's truth? How does, how does God's truth correct these desires? As an example, there are some parents that experience a level of frustration with their children. Okay, sometimes. Um, Sometimes this is even displayed in outbursts of anger, even yelling parents towards their children. 
You know, things like, why won't you clean up when I tell you to? Why won't you listen to me? Okay. What's the desire that's underneath those reactions, whether they're, they're extreme or whether they're just inside resentment? What's the desire there? The desire is for obedient children. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to desire, to want obedient children. But when that desire becomes so big, it's a ruling desire, so much so that your desire for obedient children is greater for your own desire to obey God, greater than your own desire to be kind and patient and gentle, and you're willing to disobey God's command in order to see that your children obey God's command. That's when our desires get distorted and we slip into sin. And anger is the result. Now, what's God's truth that's going to address that desire for obedient children that's become a ruling desire? If I don't have it, I'm going to be angry. Okay, it's not good for a parent to have. You're going to be angry a lot. Kids don't obey. All right, so how, how do we get that desire under control? Well, what, the, what does the Bible say about that particular desire? The Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Kids are going to disobey. As parents, you need to know that. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And the Bible also says it is our job as parents to teach, to train, to instruct, to discipline, to do that teaching, that admonition, to see them be nurtured and grow up into obedience into the Lord. That's our job to do that. And that's going to require great work, consistency, effort. That's, that's, that's not a simple task, okay? So we need, we need to be working on that. That's what we need to remember, what God's word says. The Bible also says that it's our own heart where the real battle is. Okay, it's not our circumstances. First and foremost, we must seek by God's grace to change our own hearts, okay? Before we can, before we can help others. We need to speak to our children from a, from a level of obedience ourselves. Otherwise, they'll see right through us and figure mom and dad are just hypocrites, then they're really not going to listen to you. So what do we do with all these truths? How do we change then? How do we change? Once, once we identify God's truth, once we identify our, our desires, how do we change? We looked at last week, two different texts, to see that how we change is through repentance. Being broken over our sin and being led to repent, to call out to God, to admit our sin, to own it, to forsake it. And not only that, to, to reconcile, to seek forgiveness. Forgiveness is going to be the way that we deal with injustices, things that we perceive that are evil, not anger, but rather through forgiveness and reconciliation. So in these first few minutes, I've tried to summarize what we talked about the last two weeks through two 45-minute sermons. So if you, if, you, if you miss those, or if this has seemed like that's all, this is all new to me, then I encourage you to go online and look at the last two Sundays. Because we're going to move on here this morning from that base, from that foundation we've laid the last few weeks. And today what we're going to do is look at eight different reasons why you must destroy anger. Okay, we're going to look at eight reasons on why anger needs to be dealt with in your life. This is a serious matter. We're going to have eight reasons. And also, you'll see that those eight reasons are also going to cause you to mourn and to be broken over your sin. And that's a good thing. If you leave here today feeling broken over your sin, that's a good thing. But hopefully you also see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so eight reasons. Eight reasons. You can follow along in your sheet if you want to fill in those blanks. And as I mentioned before, we're going to go through lots of scripture. You have it written on the back of the page. I suggest you just listen as we go through some of these texts. Okay, first reason why anger must be destroyed. Anger is commanded to be put away. 
Okay, anger is commanded to be put away. Colossians 3.8 says this, but now you must put them all away. Okay, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You must put them all away. It's commanded the Lord. Psalm 37, 8 and 9, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Okay, this is not just a suggestion. This is not just a, a good idea. This is the command of God. Okay, so when you, when you talk to your friends this week and say, what did you do on Sunday? You can say, I heard from God on Sunday. Like, what do you mean? Well, God told me that I must put away my anger. Did you get a feeling? Did you get an impression? No, he, I, I, heard, I heard God's words and I saw it written down. You must put away anger. This is the word of God to you. This is God speaking. This is our creator speaking to his creatures who's all wise, all knowing, all loving, all powerful. And he says, put away anger. It's a command to you. You came here today to hear from God, didn't you? If you didn't, then why are you here? We're here to hear from God. And God says, put away your anger. Put it all away. And so we must trust God's word here as the eternal, inerrant, sufficient and authoritative word of God. And God says, put away anger. It's the first reason. Second one. Some of these will be longer than others. Some often be quick. Number two. Second reason why we must put away anger. Anger is foolish. Anger is foolish. Okay, second reason. Anger is foolish. Now, have you ever gotten angry before? And then you've had, you've had, yes, yeah. You've had time to, you've time to settle down. And then once you settle down, you realize, boy, I was such a fool. Such a fool. Now, do you know why that is? Because you were such a fool. Okay? When you're angry, you're foolish. You're, you're acting like a fool. You're not in your right mind. You're doing things that you, you wouldn't do if you had, had a clear way of thinking. So you're acting like a fool. That's what the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, be not quick in your spirit to become angry for anger lodges in the hearts of fools. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Another one from Proverbs 14, 6, 14, 16, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. A man of quick temper acts foolishly. And the man of evil devices is hated. And Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. When you're being angry, you're acting like a fool. Now, the Bible says this, and I don't say this, just as mere childish name calling. Okay? What it means is you are lacking wisdom. You are lacking understanding. You, you are not functioning with your faculties with according to reason. You're doing something that's incredibly foolish. And who wants to be foolish? If you're angry, you're acting foolishly. So don't go there. Don't be a fool. Number three, anger affects the body. Third reason why you must put away the anger. Anger affects the body. Okay, when you're angry... We know that there's stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol. They speed up your heart rate. They speed up your breathing. You get this burst of energy, but at the same time, your blood vessels are tightening. Perhaps your teeth are gritting. Your blood pressure is soaring. And if this happens often. It causes wear and tear on your artery walls and other parts of your body. And in one report, researchers said this, that healthy people 
who are often angry or hostile are 19% more likely than calmer people to get heart disease. And within two hours of an outburst of anger, you're, you're much more likely to suffer from a heart attack or stroke. This is this medical research brought to bear on people who are angry. And the Bible says the same thing. This is nothing new. Proverbs 14, 29 and 30 says this. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Puts these two things in parallel. Okay? If you're, if you're angry, not only are you foolish, but, but your body is rotting. Your body is being destroyed because of your anger and your foolishness and, and your envy that's breeding this hatred. You pay a toll physically as an angry person. Now, if you read about anger, if you go on the internet and try to get rid of anger, you know, on Google, um, you'll see all these non-Christian sources. And this is, this is the one reason that you get so often is why you must deal with your anger because it's bad for you physically. Okay, and our society is, is concerned about health. You know, we want, we want to cut carbs, we want to, we want to cut sugar, we want to cut, cut trans fats and these other kinds of fats that are not good. You know, cut off gluten, cut off all these other kinds of acronyms and, and acrostics and things that you want to get rid of and not consume. You want to help your health? Cut out anger. Get rid of it. This is a danger to you. Danger to you physically. That's number three. Anger affects the body. Number four. Fourth reason why you must do away with anger. Anger affects prayer. Not only is it going to affect you physically, it's going to affect you spiritually. Anger affects prayer. Psalm 66, 18 says this. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 1 Timothy 2, 8 says this. I desire then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Why? Because anger and quarreling is going to hinder your prayers. So don't do it. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now, this is not talking about anger, but it's talking about husbands treating their wives in a gracious manner. And why? It says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Sin hinders your prayers. Anger hinders your prayers. It breaks our fellowship with God. Breaks our fellowship with God so much so that that our prayers, our communication with God is, is hindered. There's distance there. Now imagine yourself stranded in your car on, on a country road. Okay, for some of you that's going home on a Sunday afternoon, but, but for, for many here in the city, you're out, out, out far in the country, you know, you're out of cell coverage and, and it's getting dark. The last time you've seen a car is probably like an hour ago. And you look down at your phone and you, you got like a sliver of a bar of battery left. You got no coverage and you're just driving. You don't know what direction you're driving, but you're just driving somewhere, hoping to get some reception so you can make a call for some help. And then you look and your battery's dead. And now it's the middle of the night. You have no battery on your phone, no way to call from help. It's a similar way when we are separated from God, but far worse. We're not just stranded in a car out in the middle of nowhere with no way to communicate. We're, we are separated from our heavenly father because of our sin. We're living recklessly. We're living dangerously. We're living ignorantly. We're in the dark. We have no communion with our father. And so if you're concerned about being somewhere without your phone and being able to call for help, 
to certainly be concerned about our anger that is going to put us at odds, separate us, break our fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Recklessly cutting ourselves off from communion with God if we persist in our anger. That's the fourth reason. Number five. Anger brings God's judgment. Anger brings God's judgment. It's not going to get any better here as we go through this list. Number five is not good. Anger brings God's judgment. It's not just going to hinder our communication with God, but rather it's going to bring God's judgment upon us. Matthew 5, 22 says this. This is Jesus speaking on the Sermon of the Mount. Listen to his words. He says, I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Serious. Anger is worthy of being judged, and to the point of which, if you persist in your anger, calling your brother a fool, liable to the fires of hell. What Jesus is saying here is anger is serious. This is a very serious, serious, serious sin. We must flee from it. When we consider an unforgiving attitude, which is anger's close companion, we see the same warning. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 15, that if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. This is the same kind of thing here with regards to anger. If you're going to hold anger in your heart, don't count on God's forgiveness if you're going to hold anger in your heart. Rather, you're going to experience God's judgment if you're an angry person. Now, if this doesn't put the fear of God in you to deal with your anger, I don't know what will. Certainly, our anger, we justify it, don't we? We hear these warnings, but we justify our anger. We say to ourselves, it's right that I feel this way. Oh, pastor, you have, you have no idea what they did to me. You have no idea what they said to me. Oh, they, they knew that would hurt and they did it on purpose. You have no idea. I have the right to become angry. And we tell ourselves how they deserve it, how they hurt me, how we've been patient long enough, how they aren't going to get away with it this time, how people just don't understand what we've gone through. Now, as we try to justify our anger in this sense, do you think our self-justification is going to go far with God? Do you think we can go with these reasons and excuses and go before God and say, but God, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain I felt. You don't know the, the circumstances that that happened. And, and I have a right to be angry. That's going to work with God. Consider God and who he is. The God who has every right to be angry with you. Every right. You are his creature. Do you love him the way that he deserves to be loved? Of course not. You're rebellious creature. And so we go before God and the God who has every right to pour his wrath and fury upon us. And what has he done? He's been merciful and gracious and he's directed that wrath and he's put it to his son, Jesus Christ. And it is with his will to crush him and to destroy him so you could go free and so he could have mercy on you. And you're telling him that you're justified in your anger. That's not going to fly with God. Rather, you're going to experience his judgment, his judgment. That's what Jesus here is warning. You can't justify our own sin before God who has been so gracious and merciful to forgive us our sin. I pray that you would deal with your anger just for this fact alone to escape the judgment of God. 
If you're not convinced, look at Galatians or, or not. Don't look there, but listen to Galatians 5, 17 to 21. Okay, listen to this. A longer passage. Make sure you pay attention here. Galatians 5, 17 to 21. It says this. For the desires of the flesh, our natural desires, are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, what are the works of the flesh? It's being destroyed. It's going to bring God's judgment. Listen to them. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. We're thinking, that's okay. I'm good. I'm good with that one. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. We're thinking, yeah, I, I've been dabbled in sorcery this week. I'm okay. I'm doing good here. Enmity. Strife. Jealousy. Okay, he's getting closer to home. Fits of anger. That's in there. Works of the flesh. Fits of anger. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says this, including with fits of anger. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that scare you? Fits of anger will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, I'm, I warned you before and I'm warning you here again and you're being warned here from God's word this morning that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I pass this warning on to you to flee God's judgment. Put away anger. Put away wrath. Number six. Number six. Anger destroys yourself. Anger destroys yourself. When you're angry, you're inviting Satan to come and destroy you. And you're inviting the power of sin to destroy you. Proverbs 29, 22 says this. A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. It's a doorway to transgression, a doorway to sin. You want to invite sin into your life? Harbor anger and bitterness and resentment. It's a doorway to more and more sin. Genesis 4, 6, and 7 says this. The Lord said to Cain, he said, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not, sorry, if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What's God saying to Cain here? If you're going to stay in your anger, sin here is, is seeking to rule you, seeking to destroy you, seeking to have its desire for you. If you remain in your anger, you're inviting sin to come and destroy you. If you think back the last few weeks, if you've been here, looked at James 4, deals with anger. We looked at Ephesians 4, deals with anger in a few places. And what do both those passages have in common besides dealing about anger? They both talk about the devil. They both of them do. When we are angry, we are inviting the devil. We're inviting Satan. We're inviting sin to come in and destroy us as a gateway for further and further sin. If you're not willing to dig up anger by its roots, you are inviting sin and the devil into your life. As a Christian, you desire to be holy. You desire to experience God's blessing. You desire to experience His grace in, in a greater and greater measure. You want to be holy. 
Start with anger. If you deal with anger, now you have a, a whole litany of sins that are going to be dealt with because anger is a gateway to all those other sins. Start with your anger. Purge it out by its roots. Don't believe the lies of Satan. Rather, believe the truth of God and battle, battle to apprehend God's truth and grow in our trust of him and his words. Number seven. Seventh reason why we must deal with our anger. Number seven, anger destroys other people and relationships. Okay, Anger destroys other people and relationships. Not only does anger destroy yourself, but anger destroys other people and relationships. And most often the people hurt by your anger are the people that you love the most. They're the people that are going to be hurt the most by your anger. What do you think is more dangerous in a relationship? Consider marriage. What do you think is more dangerous? Lust or anger? Lust or anger? Think about that for a second. What is more dangerous in a relationship? Lust or anger? Well, someone posed John Piper, uh, former pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. They asked him that question. And he said this. He believes anger is more dangerous than lust. He says, anger conceived day after day week after week, year after year, and come out in so many oblique expressions of demeaning behavior, neglect, and lack of attention that I think it can can undermine a relationship more subtly and with more long-term damage than the dragon of lust can. He continues and says, most men and women understand the battles that rage in the male mind and heart with regard to lust, but I don't think most couples understand the way anger works and how relentless disappointment in a marriage or in a friendship or in a job causes a kind of low-grade anger that yields a death to all the positive emotions that make relationships worth living. So if we can't get a grip on or relief from or a solution to the anger issue, it will probably undermine relationships, especially marriages, more deeply and more long-term than lust does. Whether you agree or disagree, you can realize anger is something that's going to destroy people and destroy relationships. Let's look at some passages of scripture. Proverbs 21.9. Listen to this. Proverbs 21.9. It says, It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Okay? It's better to live on the roof of your house in the corner, out exposed to the elements. It's better to be there than in the house with a quarrelsome wife. Okay, it's better. Than, it's better. It's a good thing compared to living with a quarrelsome wife. All right, this, anger's bad. All right, that's what I'm saying. Not only that, but listen to listen to Proverbs twenty one nineteen. This is a bit further in that chapter. Not only is it better to live in the corner of your housetop than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. It says it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Okay, not only is it better to live in the corner of your rooftop, but if you had the choice men of living in the desert no food no water you know probably going to die a a very painful death or being in the house with a quarrelsome woman choose the desert that's what the bible's saying okay it's it's serious here what the bible is saying about the gravity of anger and quarreling and bitterness okay so it's better to live in the desert it's better to live on the corner of your housetop 
Now, the Proverbs also say what it's more comparable to, okay? So you can't really compare desert living with living with a quarrelsome wife. You can't really compare living on a rooftop with living with a quarrelsome wife, but they do have something that is like it. Proverbs 27.15 says this, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Okay. So living in the desert doesn't quite match it. Living on your rooftop doesn't quite match it, but Chinese water torture. <laughs> now you're getting somewhere. Now you're close. Now, now the this, this scriptures put these in, in a humorous and memorable fashion. Again, to impress upon us the gravity of the sin, gravity of quarreling and anger and how hurtful it is to your spouse. And so why this is a call. This is a call to put away anger because you are destroying your husband, destroying your children. You're destroying those who share the home with you in your anger. And husbands, this is a call for you to to graciously lead and to help your wife overcome anger, overcome bitterness. And it's not just the women. Okay, I'm not going to end here. It's not just the women. Men can do it as well. Proverbs 22, 24 and 25 says this. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Don't befriend an angry man. Proverbs fifteen eighteen says this, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he is slow to anger, quiets contention. Men, do you stir up strife in your own home? Do you cause divisions? Do you cause your wife to be angry and wrathful because of your anger? Proverbs 15.1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Sometimes men, we get tempted. Being the leader of the household, being one who's typically physically bigger and stronger, to use your position of authority to speak harshly, to speak loudly, to have my way done. It's going to stir up strife and anger and division and quarreling in your own household. The very opposite of what you do. You want to seek control, but now you're going to create chaos through your anger and through your strife. So again, the call here is for men to put away anger, especially as your role as leader in the home. Okay, real manhood is not sticking out your chest and bellowing your voice and calling for quiet and calling for for rule and authority in your kingdom, in your house. Okay, it's not about that. That's not real manhood. That's what, that's what kids do. That's what boys do. That's, that's a playground tantrum with your family. Come on, you're bigger than that. Be a man. And what is a man going to do? He's going to lead, and he's going to lead in such a way as a servant. He's going to lead with gentleness and patience and with calmness, and he's going to speak softly. And he's going to speak the truth of God's word. That's manhood. That's harder to do than just blowing your lid when things don't go your way. So be a man, men. Be bold. Equip your household to deal with anger and you yourself get a hold of it. That's real manhood. That's being a real leader. Jesus was man's man. You don't see him throwing a tantrum. This is applicable not only in the household, in women and men, but it's also applicable in the church. If you think, you know, I want, I want to be more involved in the church. I want to be involved in ministry. 
my advice based on, on, on these texts we've been looking at is to do away with anger. If you want to be used of the Lord, especially used of the Lord in the church, there's no place for anger. No place for divisions and quarreling and a, and a haughty attitude. As you look at the requirements given for elders and for deacons in the church, over and over you hear this repeated refrain of gentleness, not given to quarrels, not quick-tempered, self-controlled, disciplined, and not only in your own life, but cultivating these characteristics in your own home. You want to be used of the Lord in His church? Then give yourself to uprooting anger, bitterness, and malice. It's absolutely essential. If you're a hot-tempered man, you're not fit to lead in God's church. Scriptures would forbid it. So, wives, husbands, friends, children, parents, wherever relationship you're in, even the church, we're called to do away with anger because it's going to cause so much harm, not only to ourselves, but to others around us and to his church. And so we should be grieved that our sin leads to such terrible consequences. And we should also see the stark contrast between the, the so-called wisdom of anger and this letting your wrath go versus the wisdom of God as we see in the scripture. Look at, look at the, the complete contrast as I, as I read James 3, 17 to 18. Okay, we know, we know, you see what anger does to people around us, but look at what God's wisdom does. James 3, 17 to 18 says this, but the wisdom from above, God's wisdom is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Don't you want a harvest of righteousness in your relationships, in your home? Don't you want that harvest of righteousness in our own church and in our, in our job and workplace? And so peace. Put on the wisdom from above. Put on God's wisdom. Trust Him and His Word and believe it. And live it out. Put away anger. That's number seven. Number eight, our last one. We've made it all the way to number eight. And I've saved the most important for last. Anger grieves God. Anger grieves God. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31 says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, the, the, when the Bible says about Holy Spirit, that, that word holy is not just take it or leave it. Holy, pure, undefiled. The Holy, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And it continues, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why should all those things put away, put away, be put away from you? So we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Don't grieve God. Rather put all those things away. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is, the anger of man is against the righteousness of God. The anger of man is going to undermine the righteousness of God. You want, you want to work against God? You want to grieve God? You want to grieve His Holy Spirit? Then remain in your anger. Psalm 51, 3-4. David speaking. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. 
against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Did David sin against other people? Oh, sure he did. But David's sin was primarily against God. Do we sin against others in our anger? Oh, sure we do. Do we hurt them? Yes, we do. But our sin of anger is primarily against God. We saw this in previous weeks. When we are angry, our desires have become ruling desires, over desires that are above the desires of God. We make ourselves like God. And we have our own demands and laws. And that grieves God. Our sin of anger is against God. When we're sinfully angry, we're sinning against God. The one who, who made us, he, he sustains us, he loves us, he cares for us, he provides us. The breath that you're breathing right now, the brain that you're using to listen, the ears are all given to you as a gift of God. And we're angry. We're spitting in God's face. We're grieving him. Now, I mentioned today we're going to look at James 4. And so if you still have that passage open, I want to read to you again from James 4. I'm reading this passage again to remind us of how our anger is against God. How our anger is against God. I'm going to read from James 4, 1 to 10. James 4, 1 to 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? These desires, verse 2, you desire and do not have. So you murder or hate. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It's misguided passions. Verse four, you adulterous people. Adulterous to who? To God. You're unfaithful to God. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So what does James 4 tell us? That our anger, our quarreling, divisions, these passions that, that are at war within us, caused by our desires, are really enmity with God. Idolatry. Adulterous. Unfaithfulness to the God who has made us. The God who, is, who yearns jealousy over the spirit he has given us. He's made us. We're his creatures. He wants what's best for us. And we forsake him for our own passions. And we are opposed to to him in our anger. Now, as we realize that our anger is against God, that it's an affront to him, 
Now, what does verse 9 and 10 have to do with anger? I want to focus on verse 9 and 10 as we finish this morning. Verse 9 and 10 says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. As we've gone through these eight things this morning, I'm sure that some of those things have made an impression on you. Some of those things have struck concern in your heart. Perhaps even fear. Perhaps even wondering of where am I going to turn? How am I going to deal with this? This is this sin is too great for me. And if, and if this, the Bible says that fits of anger will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that, what does that mean for me? I'm, I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. And what does this verse tell us? It tells us to be broken, mourn, weep, cry out to God, turn your joy into gloom, humble yourselves before God, be broken over your sin. And this, this sounds so contrary to what our world would tell us. Our world would tell us that if, if you're feeling down, if, you, if you're feeling unsure about things, you need to feel better about yourself. You need to start praising yourself. You need to get around other people. They can praise you. What the Bible says is be mournful, weep, fall on your face, turn that joy into gloom, into mourning, and humble yourselves before God. Because it says that He will exalt you. So what is it getting at here? The purpose of going through these eight reasons of why anger must destroy should reveal to you that anger is a gross, terrible sin. And it must be forsaken. It must be dealt with. You should be disgusted. We should be disgusted by our anger. Broken over it to the point of mourning and weeping because of our sin. And when we get there, when we see the heinousness of our sin, when we realize the depths of our depravity, when we realize just how far deep anger goes and how much of an offense it is before God and how much it destroys others, how much it is destroying ourselves, how it was an invitation for Satan, all these things that we looked at. When we realize the depth of our sin, only then will we realize the sweetness of our Lord Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. Only then, only then will we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us. That through faith in him, that through coming to Him with a repentant heart, coming to Him with a broken spirit and saying, Lord Jesus, I need Your forgiveness. I need Your forgiveness. I need it. Otherwise, I'm going to be destined for Your judgment in the fires of hell. I need Your forgiveness. I need Your grace in my life. Only from that place of brokenness will we then be able to cry out to God and then experience that sweet, sweet feeling of forgiveness. When we see the promises of God that those who come to Him, those who call it to Him, will be saved. They will be forgiven. And it's from that point, being broken by our sin, calling out and, and experiencing and believing the sweet forgiveness of God through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and being lifted by that, only then do we have the power to defeat sin and to defeat the sin of anger. Because two things are going to be happen when you taste the sweetness of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Number one is you're going to be lifted to the heights of joy that you never thought possible. 
When we're broken over our sin, we go down to the lowest depths and we realize the truthfulness of Scripture, we are brought higher than we ever thought possible. We have more joy than we, we ever knew we could experience and it's because of the forgiveness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll be lifted to such heights. You have a hope for the future. Forgiveness, forgiveness of sins will become so precious to you. You're going to long for the sight of your Savior. You're going to long to know Him in greater way. This, this book is going to take on a whole new meaning because this is the Word of God to you, the God who has forgiven you such wretchedness in your sin. You're going to love Him. You can be joyful. That's the first thing that's going to happen to you. The second thing that's going to happen to you is that joy and that love and that grace that is poured into your heart is not going to stop there. You can't contain it. It's going to flow through you and it's going to affect others. When you consider the weight of your own sin, when you consider your own wretchedness and how even as you look at one particular sin like anger and realize just how sinful and how wretched and how depraved we are. And realize how we've been forgiven by God. We won't be able to withhold forgiveness from somebody else. We won't be able to be angry and wrathful when we consider the great magnitude of God's forgiveness towards us. When we consider just how sinful we are and what we've done to God and He's forgiven us. And now this person has offended me. He's cut in line with me at Costco and I'm going to get angry. Are you kidding me? Really? No. The grace of God is going to transform you. You won't be able to do it because you've been forgiven so, so much. You won't be able to hold a grudge. You won't be able to withhold forgiveness. We're going to see God's grace in such great measure. That's going to flow through us to others. Now, the more you excuse, the more you accept, the more you tolerate your own anger, I promise you, the more you self-justify it, I promise you, you will not be able to overcome it. You won't. It's only through the grace of God that we can overcome this. Only through seeing the depths of our sin and turning to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and for the power to overcome is it even possible. If you're going to harbor it, you're going to hang on to it, I'm justified in it, you will not change. It doesn't matter how many tips I give you. It doesn't matter how many journaling sheets you fill out. It's not going to work. You need the grace of God. You need the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want that today? Is Christ precious to you today? Have you experienced His sweet forgiveness? Have you tasted the depth of your depravity and the sweet grace and forgiveness that is offered to you free of charge just by coming to Him in humility? If you haven't experienced that today, then do not leave without talking to someone, talking to me or talking to someone here. Do not leave in your sin without experience the great forgiveness and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I beg of you, experience his great power in your life and then the joy of sins forgiven. Let's pray.